Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today, and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. We've been in a series at the moment on worship and, uh, and looking at our worship and what it means to worship God. And uh, I've titled today's message, Worship, It's a Heart Thing. I want to share, just by sharing a, a quick story here, in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, co-authored with Philip Yancey, Dr. Paul Brand observed a hummingbird heart weighs a fraction of an ounce and beats 800 times a minute. Anyone have ever seen a hummingbird? 800 times a minute. A blue whale's heart weighs half a ton, beats only 10 times per minute, and can be heard two miles away. In contrast to the human heart, it beats 65 to 70 times a minute. You might want to take your pulse today. Anyone there with an Apple, you know, a smartwatch or something today? Um, what's that add-on at the moment? Too fast, too fast, too fast, too fast. Um, 65 to 70 times a minute. That's 100,000 times a day with no time off for rest. And, to, and, and you know, it gets us most, most of us through 70 or so years. Interesting fact is that in the Strong's Concordance of the Bible, which is uh, a list of the primary words that are, are used and contained in the King James Version of the Bible, the brain, our brain, get this, our brain is not mentioned once, whereas our heart is cited 826 times. Do you think the Bible wants us to know something about our heart? I believe the Bible does want us to know something about our heart. And you may recall God speaking to the prophet Samuel in, in 1 Samuel in chapter 16. And uh, King Saul at the time had messed up big time. God wasn't happy with King Saul. He'd, he'd messed up. And, uh, and God starts to speak to the prophet Samuel. And he says, Samuel, I want you to go and anoint a new king. So he says, fill up your flask and head off to this town. He tells him which, where to go, head off to. And he says, and I want you to go and find the family of Jesse. And you're going to anoint one of his sons, the new king. And so the prophet Samuel heads off. He's got his flask of olive oil. He's on his way uh, down to this town to, to uh, anoint the next king of Israel. And uh, he comes and he finds, he does all the necessary sacrifices and he finds Jesse and he finds his sons. And, and so Samuel starts working his way through these sons and Eliab is the first son and he's such a big, handsome looking man, you know, very big stature. And, 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 and Samuel is quoted as saying, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says to Samuel, no, it's not him. And so Samuel progressively works his way through all of the brothers until he gets to the end. He says, like, it's, it's none of these. And he says, is, is there another son? Oh yeah, you know, there's, there's David. He's, he's just out like, I mean, hello. Like, I mean, if you were David, how would you feel? Would you feel loved? Would you feel that you were really part of this tight bond knit family? Maybe some of you can relate today. I'm, I'm the youngest son. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes you can get forgotten about in the scheme of things. But, you know, here it was. And, and so Samuel says, and they eventually bring David in. And God says to Samuel, he says this, Anointing the new king, do not look his appearance or his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I think this is just a, a remarkable starting point for us when we think about our worship being a heart thing. 
Because it doesn't matter what facade we put on the outside. It doesn't matter, you know, ladies, what makeup you put on. Uh, It doesn't matter what we do with our hair. It doesn't matter what clothes we decide to wear today or whether we wear shoes or don't wear shoes like to church. Um, We were watching the Jesus Revolution a couple of days ago and, you know, people came to church without any shoes and that's okay. It's totally okay. But it doesn't matter how you come. It's what's in your heart because God is the one that actually looks at our heart and I'm always drawn uh, to think about the woman at the well in Samaria and so interesting that Emily was actually talking about digging wells today and the relevance of wells but Jesus goes out of his way to meet this woman of Samaria in John chapter 4 and uh, and many of us would know the story that Jesus was on his way on a journey and, uh, and, he, and it said, the Bible says that he had to pass through the land of Samaria, he had to pass through the region of Samaria. And uh, along the way, they became very tired and exhausted. And so Jesus sent his disciples into the nearby village and he camped or he just stopped beside a well in the shade for a bit. And he sent his disciples into that nearby village. And, and, and not too long after he was sitting there, a woman came to draw water from the well. And many of you recall the story, and I'm just going to paraphrase the story, but she comes and, and Jesus asks her for a drink, and, and, and she says, you don't have anything to draw with. And so he says, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask for living water, and I'd give it. And then Jesus goes on to be able to uh, tell her that, you know, go and get your husband. Actually, he says, go and, go and bring your husband to me. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you spoke rightly because you had five and the guy that you're with at the moment, you're not married to. And so he, he knows all this history about this, this woman. And uh, we're going to pick the story up in uh, John chapter 4 and verses 19 to 24. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. She says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, what, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The first thing I want to just touch on this morning is we need to know the one that we worship. (laughs) If, If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, friend, can I encourage you that is the starting point to true worship is to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. You know, Jesus is talking to this woman of Samaria and, uh, you know, the Samaritans were, uh, you know, interbred in that, in that relation. Um, the Jews despised the Samaritans. There was a lot of hostility between them. It was socially unacceptable for Jesus to be even talking to this woman. Yet Jesus, I believe, knew that there was a moment that this woman was needing a breakthrough in her life. But she was also on a journey to show us, I believe, that true worship is a condition of the heart and it's not to, not about where we meet it's not about it's not about how we look it's not about whether we bring our hands up or down or we kneel or we bow or whatever we do it's what's going on inside our heart and so i want us to look at what does it mean to worship in spirit see i believe what jesus is saying is that true worship emanates from within 
us. Put your hand on your chest for a moment, if you can. You feel that beating inside your chest. You know, there's something about comfort from feeling your heart beat. I know there's a lot of times when we're worshipping here and I'll find myself, people might have their hands lifted, but I'm inclined a lot of the time to put my hand on my heart. (laughs) It's such an important part of what we read and we learn about the kingdom of heaven today for us. So I want to look at our first point today. And, uh, and my first point is this. I believe that we need to be like Paul and we need to worship with our whole being. So that inner part of us that is created in God's image, which is made up of our intellect, our emotions and our will, we worship God in all these areas. And the psalmist said this in Psalms 103 verses 1 to 2. It says, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he's done for me. You know, not just with my mouth, not just with my hands, not just with my feet, but my whole being. Praise the Lord. There's something about just being able to be unleashed in those areas, I think, sometimes. And if it's appropriate to cry, it's okay to cry. If it's appropriate to stand, it's okay to stand. But the main thing is that we allow our worship to emanate from deep within us and that whatever that expression looks like, let it be done with our whole heart. I like this quote from Craig S. Kenner. He says, We should know and celebrate God with our whole person while too many Christians neglect to serve God with the mind, others cultivate only their minds and neglect the emotional aspects of worship. See, I believe that we are emotionally wired. <laughs> and some of, us, some of us like to suppress our emotions. Some of us like to push down our emotions and not show our emotions. But I believe that we've been created with emotions for a reason. And I'm not ashamed to sob. I'm not ashamed to cry. I'm not ashamed to to lose my composure, as it were, if it means that I'm expressing my worship to God. And I believe that, that what Paul's encouraging us to do is to worship God with our whole being. And the psalmist is encouraging us to do that as well. I believe the way our worship needs to be grounded in the Word and that we need to have a right understanding of God, that doesn't mean that it should be a purely intellectual enterprise. You know, we can worship God in our mind. We can worship Him with our... God's given us a mind. He's given us an intellect to be able to think and process. But I believe that God wants us to take it that step further where we engage our whole self, not just our mind, but our will and our emotions and our heart that we connect spiritually as well. You know, there are times when worship should touch our hearts so dramatically that an emotional response is only natural. Has anyone ever had just a a pure emotional response to worship? Like you have just felt like you have just been totally undone. Praise God. Praise God. I I can recall a time when before we were married and uh, this church had a different orientation, but we were in this building. I was a key holder. I was privileged to have a key. And I used to come down here some nights and I would just... I would just enter the building and I'd have my guitar with me and I would sit in the dark and I would just start playing a song and I'd just start worshipping to God. And sometimes I wouldn't get past verse (laughs) 1 and I would just start absolutely bawling my guts up. 
because there was just something that would erupt within me that was like, God, I just have this realization of, of how good you are, how, how much you love me, how much it costs you to send your son to die for me, how, how unworthy I am and how, how dirty I am. And yet, yet you sent him anyway. And, and Lord, you love me and you're just pouring out your love on me. And I, I just can't comprehend that. My physical brain can't process that. Yet emotion comes and out of our whole being and out of my whole being in, in, the, in those times, we'd worship our Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 21 to 22, may have been touched on last week, uh, King David, he wanted the Ark of the Covenant, which was the very presence of God. Uh, anyone that knows much about the, the Ark of the Covenant would know that that's, that's where the presence of God dwelled and uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, David wanted to bring this ark back into the city of David. He wanted to bring it into Jerusalem. And, and as he did, he, he, he allowed those that were carrying it to walk six steps and then he sacrificed before it. And after that sacrifice was over, we hear there in, in, um, in 2 Samuel that David rejoiced in front of this ark. And David just let loose, you might say. Pulled the lid, flipped the lid. He just let it all, dare I say it, hang out. <laughs> but he did. And he danced with all his might. And this didn't particularly impress his wife at the time, Michal. Uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 21 to 22, David re retorted uh, to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish. Some translations read undignified than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Oh, church, are we willing to be humiliated in our own eyes in our time of worship before him? Am I willing? Am I willing to look foolish in my own eyes that I could allow my heart to make a, a full and open expression of my thanks to him. I believe that when Jesus was walking this earth, there were many people who were caught up with the form of worship. And I'm not saying that that's unimportant, that we don't have various forms of worship, because I believe that there are many different forms of worship and they all serve their, their own purpose. But Jesus, he talks about the place of worship to this Samaritan woman. He says that the Jews have it right at the time and they had some of the outward expressions of worship right but the problem you know can arise when tradition overrides purpose and that's my second point is we must not allow our practice to override the purpose of worship i believe the the problem or the restriction on our worship can arise when we allow formal tradition to override the purpose for which the practice was created for in the first place see i believe that there are times when we can be quiet there are times when we can sit in silence before God, and that is a form of worship. There are times when we can be quite reflective, and, and maybe we go for a walk and we start looking at nature, and, and we look around about things around about us, and, and we can worship God in our spirit as we do that. And there's other times as well where we can become undone, where we can become emotional, where we can cry, do cartwheels, we can blow whistles. We can do whatever. But God wants our heart to be fully engaged. So we must not allow our practice or one form of our practice to override the purpose of our worship. 
I believe that we just need to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through us at any one particular time. And can I just reinforce that there is no wrong or right way to worship if it's a heart thing that's happening between you and Him. If someone else is making a loud noise and someone else is sitting down quietly, that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's what is right for you in that expression of worship for you. You know, Jesus was uh, known for speaking to Pharisees and religious leaders uh, in Israel about their worship. And in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7 to 9, he had this to say in the Amplified. He says, you hypocrites, play actors, pretenders. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, and I'm going to pick this up in the New Living, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. See, the Pharisees had all the right moves on the outside, but none of it stemmed from a heart or a spirit of worship. Sure, they knew what to say at the right time. They, they knew when to say the right things. Anyone that's ever been to a, a liturgical service will know that there's certain responses that are garnered at certain time. That the, the congregation gives a certain response. They knew when to say all the right things. They had all those right moves, but their hearts were not in that place of intimacy and connection with God. You know, putting that in today's terms, they knew when to raise their hands. They knew when to say, Amen. They knew when to say, Hallelujah. You know, they knew when to bow their heads. They knew all the external moves that made it look like they were worshipping. But Jesus says that if they don't emanate from within, they are simply rules taught by men. And we worship in vain. We're not worshipping spirit or from the heart. So I want to ask us a very important question. can be rhetorical if you like you don't have to give me an answer but where is your mind when you do the things that you do i speak this to myself is it on god or is it on some other things when you were singing praises to the lord are you thinking about you know are the band hitting all the right notes today are you thinking about whether it's too loud or too soft or whether i like this song or don't like this song are you thinking of where you're going to eat at lunchtime God bless you if you've got a lamb in the oven. I'm waiting my invitation still. But we can allow our mind to wander. Our, our mind can go all over the place. When you're listening to this message today, you might, you might be listening to this message later on if this recording actually turns out. You might be listening to this message today and, and, and you might be saying to yourself, you know, gosh, this message really, really relates to that person over there. Like, hello? Hello? I can put both hands in the air on that one. Like, gosh, this Holy Spirit just land this in their heart today. Let them get a hold of this. Let them know the truth. Let the truth set them free. But what about what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you? What about the Holy Spirit wants to say to me? See, where is our heart? How does He want me to respond It's fine if someone else is responding in another way and they've got an expression. But friend, I want to challenge you. What is God asking of me? And how is the Spirit of God wanting me to respond? And am I overly concerned about what others would think if my expression looked a little bit different to someone else? Friend, I want to encourage you that you're in good company here. And uh, and we just want to be people that honor Jesus in every area of our lives.
You know, when we're serving the Lord in our ministry, are we thinking how this glorifies the Lord? Or are we thinking, how come I have to do this? Why do I have to turn up today and bring a sermon? Surely there's someone better than me that could come and, you know, bring a better sermon today. You know, do people really think that way about you? Or is it just your thoughts about you? You know, I tend to think it's the latter. That God is wanting to see our heart in all things. And I just want to encourage us today to allow our heart to be a true expression to Him. Number three is my last point. I believe that true worship comes out of a right relationship with God. Friend, can I tell you that I just do not believe that I could do this life if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I, I just don't think that I could do it. I believe that, that at the right time in my life, God met me. And I don't know where you're up to today on your journey as we've been talking about today. But friend, can I encourage you that there is a life and there is a relationship for you that can only be found in Jesus Christ that cannot be filled in any other source in this world. Sure, there are uh, uh, other religions, there are other ways, there are other methods that people have of, of trying to arrive at a place where they feel peace and, 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 and establish some sort of sense of, of belonging around about their lives. But friend, I've found that a lot of those things just turn out to be empty in the end. There is only one Savior, there is only one God that has ever rose from the grave again. And, and the fact that Jesus rose from the grave gives us confidence to know that this life is not all that there is, that there is more to come for each one of us. The Bible says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. How true is that? And so true worship comes from having a right relationship with God. And in Psalm 24 and verses 3 to 6, the psalmist said, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Psalm 51 and verses 6 to 17 in the Amplified Classic says, For you delight not in sacrifice or else I'd give it. You find no pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin and humbly and thoroughly penitent. Such, O oh God, you would not despise. See, our worship is a response from us after receiving God, God revealing himself to us. Our worship is a response of God revealing himself to us. God, there is, there is no one like you. No one compares to you. You've revealed this great love to me. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is quoted as, as being in this place where there's all these things happening and the angels are singing and he's seeing all this stuff and he says, Whoa, I am undone because I am an unclean man. I have unclean lips and I live amongst unclean people. And the angel came over and took a coal like an ember and placed it on his lips and cleansed his lips. And you see, that's what Jesus does for us in bringing us into a right relationship. We come to that place where we realize that we, we got nothing. And we're nothing without him. And, and there's nothing that can atone for the sin in my life. It's, it's, I can't work this out. I can't strive. I, I, I can't earn salvation. 
It's not a matter of trying to keep laws and precepts and I will fail and you will fail. And if you try to keep on doing things right, I can guarantee you, friend, you're eventually going to fail. It doesn't matter how disciplined you are. It doesn't matter how, how astute you are. It doesn't matter how much you study. If you just try to do it out of behavior, you will eventually fail. I know from experience, I'm a failure, but I'm a friend of Jesus. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus takes on people like me. He takes on people like you. And he wants to bring you into a place that would know the Father heart of God. There's one more story, and that was the disciple Peter, when he decides to go out fishing and he's on his boat. And Jesus yells from the side, the, the, the shore, and he says, Hey, have you caught any fish? No. Just cast your net out on the other side. Just give it a go. Okay. <laughs> you know better, Lord. Throws the net out and pulls in a haul of fish so big that the boat starts to sink. And you know the response? Peter knew exactly in that moment that this dude... This Jesus is God. And I am not worthy. And, and we read there that, that Peter came and he kneeled down before Jesus and he says, depart from me because I am a wicked man. See, there was a realization, friend, of sin. There was a realization of him falling short. Yet Jesus extends his hand of friendship and he says, son, I paid the price for you. It's okay. Your sins are forgiven. With me, you're okay. Jesus wants us to be people that worship in spirit and in truth. But he wants us to be people that have a right relationship with him. And so today, I'm just going to pray. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you're listening to this at a later date, friend, can I encourage you to take that first step in turning your heart towards Him today in true worship and repeat a simple prayer after me. Can you do that? Let's do that together this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I've done, I ask that you would forgive me. I thank you that you paid the price for me. And today I accept your gift and I walk towards you. From this day forward, I declare you Lord of my life. Amen.